0: The Old Testament reading for this, the day of Pentecost, comes from the book of Genesis, the eleventh chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. With the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is The second reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we celebrate Pentecost, and Pentecost can be a bit of a tricky celebration for Lutherans because when most people today think of Pentecost, they think of the Pentecostal movement in the church, the charismatic, holy rolling, speaking in tongues, this ecstatic response to a pouring out. The Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, that kind of stuff actually has nothing to do with Pentecost. Those sort of things are unheard of in the church until long, long after the Pentecost events that were recorded in Acts that we heard today, like 1800 years after. And the fact is, in many cases, those wild and crazy so called outpourings of the Holy Spirit they can be very dangerous to Christians. If we think that we need to have some kind of bizarre activity in our church to prove that God is there, well, then we're not taking God at his word. If we feel like we need to experience some sort of strange physical event to know that we're actually Christians and actually saved, well, then we're kind of going to be prone to faking it, aren't we? And while the Holy Spirit certainly can appear in any way in our lives, there is no biblical record of anyone responding in the way that modern Pentecostal movement puts so much emphasis on. Well, there are some in the Bible, but then Jesus cast out their demons and they returned to normal behavior. Now, please understand, I am not saying that any member of a Pentecostal church is demon-possessed. And I'm not even saying that anyone who has ever had any kind of experience like this isn't a Christian. But I am saying that those who put their faith in their own experiences, those who put their faith in some sort of bizarre activity that they themselves do, well, they are in danger of turning from their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, no, I am not going to ask anyone to get up and wave their hands, I am not expecting to enter into some sort of a trance and start speaking in gibberish. I am not going to demand that the Holy Spirit reveal himself by healing someone's bunions. But I am going to rejoice that today is Pentecost Sunday. And I am going to give thanks for the real gifts that the Holy Spirit still pours out upon his church. But in order to do that, we need to understand What really happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out? It's not the crazy gobbledygook that many people think about today. That's actually what happened at Babel as a punishment from God for the hubris, for the disobedience, for the pride of sinful man. God made them speak in unintelligible tongues. Why would we think that that would be a good thing in our church today? In fact, what happened at Pentecost is the exact opposite of what happened at Babel, and the exact opposite of what a lot of people think Pentecostalism is all about. The disciples were not speaking in languages that nobody had ever heard before. They were speaking established languages. Languages they had never studied. Languages they hadn't spoken before, but languages that people understood very Very clearly. All the people gathered around heard the disciples speaking in their own native tongue. You see, Pentecost was actually an old holiday. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the Passover. And many people from all around the world were still gathered in Jerusalem. Parthians and Medes were told. Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. In other words, somebody was there from pretty much the entire known world. And they come together to see the apostles, and they're all shocked. Not that they can't understand a word that these guys are saying, but that they all very clearly understand every single word in their own native tongue. They understand the nuances, they understand it very clearly. They don't have to worry about translating and maybe getting a word wrong along the way. They hear the apostles in their own language. And what is it that the apostles are saying? Well, they are proclaiming God's word clearly. Not just clearly in the language of the people who are gathered there, but the apostles are giving a clear proclamation of what God's word says and what it means. They are proclaiming the law of God. Peter's sermon continues well beyond where our reading ends today. And several times in that sermon, he points out that these are the people who called for Jesus' crucifixion standing before him. And he says even those who were not in the Good Friday mob are still responsible because of our sin. Peter's proclamation of God's law, our guilt as sinners, the fact that we have transgressed God's holy word, it cuts the people to the heart. It convicts them. It makes them realize we have done wrong and in the eyes of God, we deserve to die. But that's not all that they say because that's not all that God's word is. It's not just a club to beat us into submission, to make us feel bad and hopefully shape up our lives a little bit. God's word does far more than just tell us what to do and not to do. His law is important and it is good. But what's even more important is his gospel. The apostles were telling the world of the mighty works of God. They were telling everybody what Jesus did for sinners like us. That he died in our place, that he rose again, that he has wiped the slate clean and proclaimed us holy in the eyes of God. They were proclaiming that in the name of Jesus Christ alone, there is complete forgiveness and the free gift of eternal life, all in a plain language that was easily understood by everyone, and all by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised before he ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came and empowered his church, established his church, made his church bold to proclaim the law and the gospel to all those who would hear. And you see, it wasn't just the apostles who experienced the power of God. Because by that same power that allowed the apostles to clearly proclaim God's word, sinners were brought to faith to receive eternal life. Convicted of their sin, told the good news of the gospel, many in that first Pentecost crowd were drawn in by the sound of the mighty rushing wind. They were drawn there to see the tongues of fire, but then they repent of their sin, and they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not by the trembling and passing out, not by some grand emotional outburst, not even by a sweet guitar solo played by a worship band. They repent, and they are brought to faith simply by hearing the clear word of God in their own language. On that day, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, about 3,000 people became Christians. 3,000 in one day. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit is really about. It's God's clear word being delivered by his church to sinners who are in need of salvation. Through that word, simple and mundane as it might seem, souls are snatched from the fires of hell and sinners are forgiven of their sins. That's what Pentecost was all about, establishing the Christian church on earth through which God reaches out to the entire world in mercy and grace and love. And still today, he continues this miraculous work. You see, when we celebrate Pentecost here in the church, it's not just a remembrance of the past, because these things are still happening right here, right now. There may not be the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There may not be tongues of fire over anybody's head today. There may not be thousands of converts at once. And again, if we think that nothing's happening because we don't see these things, because we don't have some sort of a flashy sign, then we are doubting God's promise to be with us always. And if we think that the success of the church depends on how large our congregation is, on how many we have on any particular Sunday, on how big we can get the roster to be, well, then we have missed the point completely. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to have 3,000 people asked to be baptized. I would love to have the pews full. I would love to set up chairs in the back again. But the fact is, we're not a failed congregation if that never happens. Because here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word is being proclaimed clearly. Here we proclaim God's law that convicts us of our sin. We speak God's full word even if it completely goes against what this prideful world considers good and fun. We speak the pure word of God even when it convicts us of our sin, even when it hurts our egos, even when it tells us that we ourselves are poor, miserable sinners who have no right to look down on anybody else in the world. We don't change God's word to fit our lifestyle, but rather we pray that God would change our lives to fit his word. We proclaim the law of God that shows us our sin and shows us our need for a savior. But we don't just proclaim the law because that's not enough. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we also proclaim the sweet eternal message of the gospel. The church isn't about whipping your life into shape so you can be acceptable to God. Certainly we want to live by God's word because it protects us from so much pain and heartache and misery and because of the Christian witness that it gives to the world of death and sin around us. But since God's standard is perfect holiness, we can never do that well enough on our own. We can never whip our lives into good enough shape to be worthy of being called children of God. And so we gather together as broken Humble sinners, and we rejoice that God has done it for us. God Himself took on our flesh. He suffered in our place. He laid down His eternal life unto death to pay the price of our sin. He rose again to life to give us the assurance of our own resurrection to eternal life. He ascended into heaven to intercede for us and to continually forgive us of our constant sin. He comes to us daily, pouring himself out upon our lives, guiding us and guarding us and teaching us, but most importantly, forgiving us and calling us his own. That's the word of God that was proclaimed by the apostles and by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us right here and right now. That's the word that we still proclaim today. That consistent Eternal, unchanging gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. By that word, sinners are brought to faith and receive eternal life. The prophecy that Peter quotes from Joel ends with the greatest miracle of all. It wasn't the rushing wind, it wasn't the tongues of fire, it wasn't the languages, it was the gospel. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our faith, it's not in some jiggity-twitchy dance or speaking in gibberish tongues. Our faith is in the Almighty, one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Creator of all things. The One who died and rose again on our behalf. The One who is with us always just as he promised. Not through fancy, flashy displays, but in the simple word of God, the plain-looking water of baptism, the mundane-seeming bread and wine of this Holy Supper. In those things, we have miracles. In those things, our Lord pours out the Holy Spirit, pours himself out into our undeserving lives, just as he promised he would. And we are blessed to share that good news with others. And whether not one single other person or 3,000 people all at once hear and believe, we rejoice. Not in our works, not in our emotional response, not in anything that we ourselves do. But we rejoice that through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we ourselves have been given the Word of God. Clearly, plainly in our own tongue, so that we can understand it. We hear the mighty works of God, and we know that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from sin, death, and the devil. Not by anything that we do, but by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his empty tomb, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.